0: Well, uh, I don't know if you are a member of a gym or have any kind of club membership, something like that, but I'm here to offer you some upgrades. Uh, That is, if you meet the membership requirements. So there's a number of exclusive clubs. Uh, Perhaps top of the list is the Australian club. Members include John Howard, James Packer. Uh, Do you meet the requirements? Well, the process is actually a little hush-hush. What we do know is you need to be a man and you cannot be wearing denim, uh, another elite club is the Ferrari Club of Australia. Membership exclusiveness—it's not down to the fees, but the fact you need to own a Ferrari, uh, you know. And I assume it can't be in bits, so you can't just go with a, a wheel or something. Um, and then Club Silencio in Paris—you uh, know, its exclusivity is—I quote: "It's for people who can demonstrate an established experience in artistic and international." Creative circles. I don't know if that's you. Maybe you could go along. Uh, And uh, finally, perhaps my favourite requirement is from the 39 Monte Carlo Club in Monaco, uh, which says you're expected to, I quote, I think I put it up on screen for you, abide by a classy and effortlessly chic dress code while on premises. So I'll uh, let you decide for yourself if you can pull that off. Uh, I don't even know what effortlessly chic is, Unfortunately, it's not the same as not putting in any effort, so uh, you might have to think about that. Well, this issue of membership requirements is at the heart of the passage today. The new Christian church is spreading, spreading like wildfire, as the unstoppable word changes hearts across the nations. But the question is raised, who are we going to let in? What are the membership requirements? You might say that the existing members, the Jews, believe the apostles are letting the standards slip, letting the riff-raff in, people wearing denim without Ferraris, total dags. Well, we'll look at the passage under three R's, where the issue's raised, uh, the question's reviewed, a ruling is made, and then we see the result right at the end. There are points, follow along in your outline or on screen. So come with me to verse 1 of Acts chapter 15, our first point, the issue raised. Verse one says, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So who raises the issue? Who are these people? Well, um, they're teaching you can't be circumcised and they've come uh, from Jerusalem up to uh, Antioch to where this new church is. And these, uh, these Jewish believers, you know, just, just coming from Jerusalem would have given them some kind of credibility, um, some kind of authority, uh, when of course what matters isn't the location, but their message. Is the message true or not? In verse 5, uh, they're called believers from the party of the Pharisees, uh, and at best they were a bit confused themselves, or at worst they, they've not really understood the gospel, gospel grace, because the issue at its core is one of salvation by grace. And the question is, what are the membership requirements? And they say new members have to be circumcised, uh, which was you know some sort of turn-off, I'm sure, for new members. As exclusive as the Ferrari Club is, I'm sure it would be even more exclusive if you have to be circumcised as well. That's uh, People aren't keen for that. So what's behind this requirement to be circumcised? Well, verse 5, uh, we learn the party was saying... The new members, uh, it says, uh, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so it was a question of whether you had to keep the Old Testament law, the whole Old Testament law of Moses. And they're saying, if you want to join God's people, the Jews, you need to become Jewish, live like Jews. No more bacon, no more mixed fibers. All the laws had to be kept. And behind it all, uh, you know, part of the, the other thing that's really going on here is that uh, God's people, one of the ways in the Old Testament that they were to ensure they remained pure was not to associate with unclean things or unclean people. And so for this new church, how can half of the church be unclean and the other half not be able to associate with them? Can you see that? If, if the Jews are not to associate with pagans, then how is this church ever going to meet together? How can it possibly work if the two halves can't associate? And to make matters worse, the Gentiles, the culture of these uh, Gentiles, of these new Christians, well, the Gentiles had some pretty immoral practices. Uh, temple prostitution, sacrificing to idols. So, of course, the Jews, you know, they see them and they're like, these people can't come into the church and practice these things. And so the, the question is, well, how are we going to run this new church what's this new christian church going to look like a bit closer to home you might think uh, of our church you know is there a limit to who we might let join in with us here looking around the room uh, or at me clearly we let in the less than effortlessly chic uh those without ferraris (laughs) speak for yourself i've been told um but are there, you know, are there unwritten moral requirements that we make, an unwritten dress code we have, uh, perhaps? Uh, I notice that occasionally there are people here with blue hair. I'm not going to point at anyone in particular. Uh, maybe the requirement should be everyone has to have blue hair. I don't know. But more seriously, are there people that we would not let in? How do we think about our church? Do we have unwritten requirements? Well, uh, secondly then, our second point, the issue reviewed, verses 6 to 18. So in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas engage the the people saying this, these teachers, it says they engage them in serious argument and debate. Uh, And eventually they're sent up to Jerusalem, uh, or down to Jerusalem, I'm getting all muddled on the map now, Uh, they're sent to the uh, original apostles uh, to where the gospel had spread from so a true teaching can be confirmed. And as it becomes clear, the, the apostles were all of one accord on this matter. Uh, but a council is formed in Jerusalem and the issue is reviewed so that a clear teaching can be ruled upon. And so verse 6, they assemble. Verse 7 says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, And then we kind of get the uh, 13 verses of of this case. It's kind of reviewed and then ruled upon. And the case is made uh, giving two kinds of evidence. Firstly, what God has done. And then secondly, what God has said. So we'll look at them. Uh, Peter, he speaks and he points to what God has done from verse 7. And he says, clearly God has chosen to save Gentiles in verse 7. And Peter here is thinking back to the saving of Cornelius. Uh, the Gentile centurion in Acts chapter 10. It was a key moment. And, and do you remember that God sends Peter a vision where he, he lowers down this big sheet, a bit like a big tablecloth, and on it are all of uh, the unclean foods, pork and so on, all the things the Old Testament law said you can't eat. And God lowered it down and said, eat. And Peter said, oh, I can't eat. Right, that's unclean food, God. And God said, no, no, eat. I'm saying it's clean. And, and the message was very clear. Uh, The food was now declared clean, and and so were the Gentiles. And so Peter, he wasn't to eat Gentiles, but he was to eat with Gentiles, was the point. Just being clear there. And so it's a key moment in Acts. The next thing Peter says is in verse 8. He says, God who knows the heart testified to them, that is the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And so his point is that God has sealed the Gentiles, he's thinking of Cornelius, with the Holy Spirit. And right in the room there with uh, Peter, Cornelius is saved and then the Holy Spirit descends on him and he starts speaking in tongues, which was a uh, something you, you needed the Holy Spirit to do. It was an evidence the Holy Spirit was now with these Gentiles. And this was a key, a key moment. And Peter's saying... Cornelius never kept the law, he didn't get circumcised, and yet he had the Holy Spirit. God had saved him. God had accepted him. So keeping the law can't be a requirement because Cornelius never did, and yet he was saved. What did he do to make himself acceptable, to meet requirements? It was having faith, not by keeping laws. Peter argues this in verse 9. He says, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So clearly God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. He's not a racist. The distinction is between those who have faith and those who do not. And you see the faith. Faith is the the cleanser. Faith is the great cleaning agent. Better than nappy sand, better than shower power or dettol. God cleanses by faith. Faith is the tool to clean, not law-keeping. And so uh, that's the argument before the council. If the Holy Spirit accepts them, bacon and all then why are you trying to give them more to do, more hoops, more laws to go through, to keep? And Peter's speech is powerful and it's clear and it's true. But the icing on the cake for the speech is then the testimony of Paul and Barnabas in verse 12. It says, The whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. For the breathtaking reality was that the Gentile after Gentile had been saved and and God had been doing miracles uh, through Paul and his apostles there uh, as a sign that he wanted them in his kingdom to demonstrate that he was God, that they might be saved, that they could have membership in his kingdom by faith. So uh, that's the first part of the case. The case then progresses uh, from what God has done to what God has said. Uh, verses 16 to 18, because God has been crystal clear, uh, getting his will to be recorded in black and white for all to see. And James, Jesus' brother, now speaks to the council gathering, arguing that what God has done is in accordance with what he said he would do in verse 15. Verse 15 says, the words of the prophets agree with this, as is written. And then uh, James quotes uh, one of the prophets, Amos, who recorded God's will, for the, for the broken Jewish nation to be healed, to be rebuilt, uh, verse 17 says, "So that the rest of humanity may seek God, even all the Gentiles. And so God's plan was always to have the Gentiles, Even from old, the plan was to have the Gentiles join the church, uh, that they would receive all the blessings promised to Israel, peace, prosperity and eternal life. And now in Acts, we see it happening. Well then, uh, we have the issue ruled upon. What is the ruling going to be? James, a brother of Jesus, continues and he gives the final ruling which Paul and Barnabas will then take by letter and the letter was uh, written out for us so we can see a copy of it and they take the letter to all the new churches telling them what the ruling is. And you might summarise the ruling under three points. Firstly, saved by grace, not law. You can see it on your outline there. Saved by grace, not law. And that is the membership requirements should be one thing. Only, and that is faith in Jesus. So verse 19 says, We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. And that is, they don't have to adhere to the Old Testament law. It's not necessary, it's not required, it's not a condition. The law, verse 10 uh, said, is a yoke that neither our ancestors nor us have been able to bear. Uh, I just love that. Uh, I love that verse. It's, uh, it's so clear. You know, we couldn't do the things uh, that we needed to be accepted into membership into God's kingdom. You can't bear the weight of such a standard of law. It will crush you. I was reminded of this in conversation uh, with Rob, who's joined us here uh, recently, and uh, he was uh, telling us, uh, and I, I relayed this story with, uh, with permission. He was uh, at a work lunch with some colleagues there, and, and one of his colleagues uh, was a, a really uh, lovely, faithful Muslim man. Uh, And they're at this Malaysian restaurant in the city and they're revelling in the the rich food and the rich history and the vibrant colours and uh, Rob said he ordered very unchilly food, unlike the other people around him, he's very wise, so that's what we expect, Rob, well done. Um, (laughs) But as they're revelling in the rich uh, history, um, they were sharing how uh, soy sauce has this really rich brewing history in Asia. I don't know if you knew this about soy sauce, but the different ways they brew it mean there are different... Flavors. Uh, I don't know much about it myself, but they were sharing this. And, and it kind of pricked the ears of this Muslim friend. And, and he said, oh, what do you mean by it's brewed? Does that mean it's a bit like beer? And, uh, and they said, yes, that's right. And then he was, he was a little bit uh, shaken. And he says, does that mean it contains alcohol? And uh, everyone realized suddenly what his concern was and said, well, yes, but only a tiny amount. And it's probably all burnt off as it's cooked. Uh, it would only be the tiniest little bit. And all of a sudden, this guy was really quite visibly uh, shaken, uh, they noticed. He stopped eating, he, he couldn't be consoled. In his mind, it was absolutely not okay to, to have any amount of alcohol, um, even inadvertently. And so it's such, such despair over, like, an accident, over such a small thing. Uh, and that's kind of the law, right? That's what the law does to us. This man's despair was because his understanding of, of God, of Allah... Uh, was that God has high standards. Of course God has high standards, right? Rightly so. Uh, and on some level, we all know that to, to face such a God, we need to be good. We need to do the right thing. We need to be a good person. Uh, if I could only meet God's standard, His law, God would accept me into His kingdom. And one of the saddest things is if you talk to a, a diligent Muslim, uh, as I have, and, and it's wonderful talking to someone who fears fears God. It's, it's rare to talk to someone like that. And uh, the Muslims do. They fear God. They, they have a, a good respect of God, of their God, Allah. But they only know uh, half of the true God's character. They only know God's justice. His wrath. That's only half God's true character. Because uh, the true God is, yes, he is wrath, he is justice, but he's also merciful and gracious and so, so loving and kind. And we see this supremely in the grace that he shows us by sending Jesus, that that we may be able to be declared righteous because of Jesus. And so pray for our Muslim friends, tell them of salvation by grace, not law. Tell them of cleansing by faith, not law, because of Jesus, in Jesus Well, returning to our our Acts account now, you can uh, see that this was a really key moment for the church. Historians say the church could have gone either way here and it would have completely changed history. Do we return to the law? No, the council says, no. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by keeping the law. You don't have to have a Ferrari. We will let you in graciously as a gift because someone who does have a Ferrari, who owns the club, will give you one, will provide one for you. You may not be able to pull off effortlessly chic clothing requirements. You may not... I mean, you're probably struggling just to get the washing done to wear something clean. But there is one who will clothe you, who will provide for you uh, the effortlessly chic clothing required. He's the great washer of clothes, the great washer of hearts, and uh, the fashion guru, to make this analogy work. He'd have to be a fashion guru, I guess. Anyway, you get the point. For that which we have not... Jesus gave us, that which we cannot do, Jesus has done for us, that we might be acceptable to God and have eternal peace with him. And so praise him for that. But this is where our passage is a little bit complicated. Because James, he gives his ruling in verse 20, and he, and he, he seems to say, all right, we're not going back to the law, but here's a few of my own. Did you notice that as we were reading it? So verse 20, he says... But instead, we should write to them, uh, tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from blood. And you kind of think, isn't that sort of undermining the whole no law thing that you just told us about? Well, let me explain what's going on here by giving another uh, two principles of this ruling. So we've said, firstly, say by grace, not law. And then now we see a second principle, living free from sin. And then finally, it will be living by love, not rights. But first, you're living free from sin. The ruling says in verse 20, they should abstain from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, it's a bit of an umbrella term. It's, it's meaning, as well as uh, rid yourself of sexual immorality. It just, it's kind of referring to all of those pagan practices, all those immoral practices. So um, Paul elaborates in his letter to the Ephesians, to another one of these churches. Ephesians 5, 3 to 4, uh, up on screen. He says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so what kind of a club are we going to be? Uh, what, what, what kind of, what's going to be the, the rules, the behaviour, the code of conduct uh, amongst this gathering if we make the uh, membership requirement just faith no law you know what's what's the behavior going to be uh, and they say well it can't just be any behavior goes no in this club in this church of jesus bought with his blood paul says uh, amongst you must not even be a hint of sexual immorality and i love that phrase even a hint it's the niv translation there the holman uh does it more accurately perhaps, but I love that phrase, not even a hint of sexual immorality, it's it just saying, keep striving to put away this sin. But notice the order it comes in, first we're saved by grace, that's really important. We're not, it's not that we uh, get rid of our sin and then we're accepted, no, it's very much the other way around. Holiness is the goal, it's the fruit of our salvation, it comes after, but it's not the means of salvation, that's not how we get there. We only are saved. By faith, but once we're saved, you can't be a part of God's church if you aren't constantly working at putting sin off. Sin which is accepted by our society, uh, you know, things like sexual impurity, things like pornography or indulging in, in lustful sexual thoughts, uh, anger or entitlement, greed and selfishness all of these things which are easily accepted in our world. You know, they can't be in God's church, we need to be constantly working. To rid ourselves of these things, if you see sin in your life, do something about it by the Spirit's power. be putting them off, we'll never be rid of sin in this life. Uh, and yet, we must never try to stop. Uh, we, don't, we must never stop trying to rid ourselves of it. We surely can't take these things any less seriously than Paul does, uh, as he tells his church. Well, if you've got questions about these things, do drop them down, and we're going to have q and A Q&A, uh, at the end. And Patty's going to have all the answers for you. But uh, the, the final principle that we get from this uh, answer, from this ruling, uh, is uh, a little different. You might say it's living by love, not rights. So You can see the three principles there, the final one, living by love, not rights. It's the last part of verse 20, uh, and it's, it's tell them to abstain from. It says, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. And you think, what's going on there? And these are things that were declared... Uh, okay by God uh, for the Gentiles. Um, but the reason they are telling the new churches not to do this, the Gentiles not to continue uh, having eating these things, um, was to make it easier for them to get along with the Jews. It was to not offend the Jews who were in their church uh, with them. It was, it was just it's to make it easier. It was um, trying to uh, prevent them upsetting the consciences of these uh, Jews who'd grown up not eating these things. And so in in a word, it was to be loving, be loving to your other brothers and sisters. So the Old Testament law said you couldn't eat anything that was strangled or still had blood. And just imagine a a Jew who has come to one of these uh, new churches and they would have been a bit shocked to see uh, a steak dripping with blood. Uh, They may have, you know, may have gagged at the sight because, you know, they would have grown up not having any of this food around, uh, knowing that this was bad for them according to their religion. Uh, and then, you know, you can imagine they, they come to the church and then they're invited along to a lunch afterwards and you want them to keep hearing and understanding and then they're eating at the table and they're horrified and, and they're like, oh, I can't, you know, their heads start spinning and they run out the door. So this is the kind of concern that is on view here. You can imagine if you had your the young Muslim uh, friend that we talked about over for lunch, you'd tell the cook, don't put any soy sauce in the food. Let's, let's not make that the thing that, Uh, causes him concern. Let's tell him about Jesus. Let's tell him about salvation by faith. Well, a number of places the New Testament puts a very similar concern. Um, It says, yes, you've got the right to eat these things, but out of love limit your freedom so as to not offend your fellow church members. And uh, there's a good example of this in our passage. Did you notice at the end of our passage, Paul circumcises Timothy? Did you notice that at 16, uh, verse 3? Timothy is circumcised so they can continue taking the gospel to the Jews and then uh, 16 verse 4 they go around delivering a decision that you don't have to get circumcised but it was too late for Timothy um, <laughs> and so you can see here Paul it, the issue is not uh, whether circumcision is right before God or not it's really just so they don't offend the people that they're going to go and tell the gospel to and so that's the idea live by love live to try and be loving to the brothers and sisters around you, not by rights. We're called to give up some of our freedoms to reach those who don't understand, who don't understand grace by faith and the freedom that it brings. Well, how might it look to apply this principle to ourselves here in this church? I mean, we're all pretty similar from our backgrounds, aren't we? We're um, pretty much all Gentiles, and there's not great divisions over food. Uh, even culturally, we're uh, very similar in many ways, even though. Uh, It's a wonderful blessing to see many different uh, ethnicities here, but we're we're pretty similar culturally. Uh, But but we still need to uh, accommodate the uh, outsider. We need to accommodate the outsider, and so a lot of the things we do at church are kind of having a mind to when a new person uh, comes in to try and accommodate them to make them feel uh, comfortable. Uh, An easy example would be these name tags. Um, I hate my name tag. It's so annoying. It's always falling off. Uh, It's just what a pain. Why would you bother? silly thing it's so a new person comes and they can talk to people and it uh it makes a huge difference I've spoken to uh, lots of new people that have come and a a few months later they say you know those name tags they're great they've really helped me and it it reminds me well this is something that we do to it's just a little thing right it's a little inconvenience it's nowhere near as bad as getting circumcised like Timothy had to uh so I'm not going to whinge about it I suppose I am grumbling a little bit I'll whinge a little bit uh, but we do it to accommodate the outsider. You know, and there's lots of ways. You know, we think about the music. Danny's always thinking about, well, we want to make it something that people can come in and it's not going to clash and not, to, not be too crazy uh, and be edifying for us. We, we, we think about all these things. Uh, another example would be just bearing with one another. Uh, you know, you could, you could just talk to your friend or the person you find interesting, but love will mean reaching out and, and reaching out to all of the brothers and sisters here, bearing a cost. Um, or you, you might think about, uh, finally, just fellowship uh, is always a bit inconvenient. You know, just agreeing on a time, you know, 10 o'clock we meet here, that's a good time for some, not a good time for others. Just being able to gather will always be uh, some kind of inconvenience. Um, giving up time to chat after the service, uh, you know, agreeing on a location. Uh, or, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier in the announcements about the youth group splitting. That was done so that more people could continue coming to the youth group. Uh, It's a huge pain for those parents. They're bearing a a cost, but it's it's a cost they bear out of love, not insisting on their rights. And so this is the kind of principle that we want to be shaping our church around. Well, there's some very little things. Uh, Finally then, uh, the, the final part of our passage, very, very briefly, the result. What's the result of the decision? Well, the Gentiles hear this ruling and their reaction is given in 15 verse 31. It says, When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So they rejoiced. It's good news. And the effect for the gospel spread, we get it at 16. Chapter 16 verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So the churches are strengthened, continue to be grown by the Spirit. And the decision is key at not impeding the gospel spread. Uh, Instead, the gospel grace wins the day and the gospel continues to be preached all around the world, uh, eventually arriving here in Bexley North. So, uh, you know, to end, well, don't stand in the way of the word. When it comes to salvation, stick to faith. And when it comes to fellowship, live by love. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for us to be acceptable to you despite our inability to to make ourselves clean or righteous. Help us not to take that for granted uh, and to pretend we are good in our own efforts, but help us to always be uh, turning away from sin uh, and being thankful for faith in Jesus. Help us to look uh, to be self-sacrificially loving those around us that we might strengthen your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.